0: to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed.
1: Keep your Bibles open at uh, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 4, we'll be looking at the whole of 2 Corinthians, but in particular we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5. So, Now, memory verses are really very important, and I don't know how much you know about memory verses but I want to encourage people back into the activity of learning the Bible uh, from heart from memory that they will know what God has and carry it in their heads all the time. It's a really important activity. You see you think with whatever you have in your brains now. If you have not put anything in your brains then you are thoughtless because you haven't got anything to think with. What you've retained in your mind is critical for the activity of thinking. Thinking is different to consulting. Consulting is Google. Thinking is not using Google. It's a different activity. It's not even reading. Thinking is actually taking what is already there and analysing the world. From It's an odd activity. I know it's very hard for some people to grasp this because <laughs> they haven't got anything up there in their heads. And you need to have a certain furniture and vocabulary in your head with which to think and what better can you have in your head than the word of God so we're going to look at two texts and I want you to learn both texts Uh, today I'll make it really childish for you we're going to recite the text so every time you see the text up on the board I want you to all say it together Over the course of the talk, there'll be less of it up there, but you'll remember some of it. And by the end of it, I want you to know the text. If you don't hear the talk and only know the text, we've won. Because it's actually better than the talk. Uh, It's inspired, the talk's not. However, I'll try what I can. However, in picking memory verses, let me tell you a couple of things about it. Not all Bible verses are equally valid or useful to learn. My brother Esau is a hairy man, but I am a smooth man. (laughs) Genesis 27.11 is not the verse to actually use in most circumstances of life. So what makes for a good memory verse... ...as opposed to a bad one, here are a few little points. One, it will mean the same in context as it does without a context... ...because you're just learning the verse without its context... ...it has to mean the same thing as if you read it in context. Secondly, it will speak to some central theme of the Bible... ...which is not about your brother's hairiness or lack of. Three, it will remind me of great truths that I need to recall... It's not just that it's going to have great central themes of the Bible, but they're the kinds of ones I need to have in my mind to be able to think Christianly and forthly. It will be useful for me when I come to explain the truth of the gospel to other people. Now, one such memory verse is the text that's printed at the top of page 15 that we're looking at in this first talk, and here we go. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your service for Jesus. Now, I said servants, but the text says slaves. I'm going to show you why in a moment. It's a text for life. That is, this text before you is one that means the same in and out of context. I'm going to show that to you in a few moments by showing you the context. It's one that speaks to central themes of the Bible. It's about Jesus and about his work and it's one that reminds me of the great truths that I need to recall and it's one that can be used to explain the truth of the gospel to others therefore it's a brilliant text to remember there are hundreds that are but this is one of them but to understand it let's look at it in its context by starting with the apostles context Paul is writing to the Corinthians as one who is persecuted for the ministry of the gospel For as he writes in chapter 2, verse 15, if you have it open there in front of you, the gospel message gives out a fragrance, which is a fragrance of life to some, but to others, the stench of death. For the gospel divides the saved from the perishing. Consequently, gospel ministry always has rivalry and persecution, as Satan seeks to seduce us and to censor us. Sending false teachers and false apostles to proclaim a false gospel and a false Jesus. So seducing people away from the truth and creating rival ministries, raising up enemies who will oppose the truth also and those who will persecute those who would preach it. You can find both the false teachers and the persecutions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn it up there, where he talks in verses 1 to 15 about the false apostles, the false teachers who have come amongst the Corinthians, and then he lists some of the troubles he's got in verses 16 to 29. Pick it up, say verse 24. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from river, dangers from robber, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. It's the kind of lifestyle career that your parents want for you (laughs) so back in chapter 4 go back to chapter 4 we have a touch of that in what was read to us a few moments ago in verses 8 to 10 we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying The body and the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That is the life he has. But how in the face of all these persecutions, all these difficulties, doesn't he lose heart? Doesn't he give up? What what keeps a man going when the whole world seems to be against him? In the face of opposition and difficulties. So twice, chapter 4 verse 1. And chapter 4, verse 17, we read his little statement, we do not lose heart. The reason he doesn't lose heart in the face of rivalry and opposition is because of the powerful nature of the ministry of the gospel. And that is the argument of chapter 3. You see it at the end of chapter 2, where he says in verse 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. But this sounds like kind of a self-congratulatory boasting that I am a, let me tell you my comment, let me commend myself to you. And so before he writes in chapter 4 of not losing heart, with, but acting with integrity, he reminds them of the power of the ministry of the gospel that he's engaged in. So chapter 3, it's a power that they should know, because it was by his preaching that the Christ wrote his message on their hearts. So if anybody should know the power of the ministry of the gospel, they should. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all, And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. For the work of preaching the gospel of God's gospel, the work of preaching the gospel is the work of the Spirit, transforming lives, lifting people from death to life, from hell to heaven. It's more glorious than the mighty work of Moses. Moses, a pretty impressive story. Amongst the Sunday school things you'd learnt as children, the Moses stories are as good and great as any. Moses had a really big life. Great things happened with Moses. Most of the miracles of the Old Testament you'll find in Moses. Some of the biggest, best ones you'll find with Moses. But the glorious, mighty work of Moses is less than the work of preaching the gospel. For the word of God through Moses was one of condemnation. The glory that he had was ever-fading, delivered to a people who never wanted to hear it. But the gospel word is one of righteousness and freedom that transforms us from one degree of glory to the next as we look not at the face of Jesus, but at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is portrayed to us, who is placarded to us, in the gospel of his death and resurrection, yeah, my brothers and sisters, Moses' Moses' ministry was glorious beyond all telling. But the ministry of the gospel is even yet more glorious than the glorious Moses. It's like the moon and the sun. Yeah, The moon casts great light on a cloudless night. You know it if you ever go out there when the moon's not out on a cloudless night. It's so dark. You really do need your phone to find your way around, ringing your parents to come and get you. Um, You really do need the torch, don't you? But when the moon's out, you actually don't need your torch. You'll be able to walk way way down to your rooms without any trouble if the moon is out because it gives such brilliant light comes from the moon. And you can see where you're going, you can actually read things under moonlight on a full moon night. But when the sun comes out, sometimes you can look up and see where the moon is in the sky during the daytime. It casts no light upon you that is of any significance at all. So great is the light of the sun. Indeed, of course, the moon has no light in itself. All the light of the moon is a reflection of the moon of the sun. Even when it is out, in the dark days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, moonlight was all they had. The reflected glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that came through Moses. But now that the Lord Jesus Christ has come, yes, we still have Moses and we need to read him, but the light of the glory of Jesus and that glory, the ministry of that glory is ours as we preach the gospel. It's an extraordinary thing that's happening. The more you see how glorious Moses' ministry was, the more you understand how powerful and magnificent is the ministry of the Christian preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is mind-boggling to me, for Moses is one of my heroes. And yet what I can be doing is greater than Moses? Now, don't push the illustration too far. We still need Moses. The Old Testament is still part of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't push any image too far. But that's why in the face of rivals and persecutions, Paul doesn't lose heart. He's not tempted to tamper with the message because what he's doing is transforming lives. He's effectively changing people's eternal destinies. He is saving people. Oh, yes, yes some people are rejecting and giving hard time but then that too is expected and so he says in verse 2 of chapter 4 we've renounced disgraceful underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or tamper with god's word but by the open statement of the truth we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of god and even if our gospel is veiled it's veiled to those who are perishing in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, Which brings us right up then in context to the verse that we're reading in chapter four, verse five. But before we spend time looking at it, we need to look briefly at a broader context. There's many contexts. When people say they read the Bible in context, yes, you've got to ask which context. There's lots of contexts. Here is the context that I've given you of what's happening to Paul and 2 Corinthians 2, 3, 4, leading up to this verse. But there's a broader context of two particular topics that I want to mention to you. One is apostles and Christians, and the other is slaves and servants. Firstly, then, the broader context of apostles and Christians. You see, the apostles were all Christians, but not all Christians are apostles. So when do we apply the apostles and their teaching and their life To us, as Christians, or to all Christians, the the apostles were model Christians, but to what extent should all Christians follow the apostolic models? The question is not a simple one to answer, there's no one answer that fits all circumstances of life. Some passages are distinctly apostolic. Uh, John chapter 14 verse 26, he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you, well, Jesus didn't say anything to me I I missed the boat by a couple of thousand years like you did but the apostles were there that's clearly the apostles we didn't hear Jesus and yet it's not irrelevant to us because the Holy Spirit did bring Jesus teaching to the apostles remembrance so that all Christians can know what it is that Jesus taught This is how we have confidence in our records of Jesus' teaching, because the Holy Spirit was given to the apostles, specifically, amongst other things, to remember the teachings of Jesus. So what are we about to read? So we're about to read a verse about Paul, in particular, his confession of what he preaches and what part he plays in that preaching look at the verse again here we go for what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your slaves for Jesus sake is this Paul alone or is this all Christians Paul is defending himself and his ministry and while he is the Apostle to the nations his ministry is not unique in the sacrificing of himself for other people's salvation, he told the Corinthians, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's in the very context of his ministry of evangelism that he says that. And he assured Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so, the idea of preaching the gospel in the face of persecution is standard Christian living, not something unusual, not something exceptional, not something apostolic per se. So, as we read and study our verse, we have to be aware of how universalistic it is, even though it's talking about the apostle and his friend Timothy. That's why it's in the plural. Secondly, we need to recall the broader context of slaves and servants. This is because Paul uses slavery to explain his relationship with the Corinthians and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. With ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. Now, there are two words, you see, deacons and slave, and I've intentionally translated slave, though the ESV has servant, as most translations do, because the Greek word is slave, not servant, and there's no reason to confuse the two. There are two completely different Greek words, as you can see. Deacon means servant. There's no reason to translate a deacon in any Bible, and if you've got a deacon in your church, try and change his name. Uh, ...unless it's Mr Deacon, then he's allowed to have that... Uh, ...but deacons are servants, that's all they are... ...and slaves, doulos, are slaves... Two different words, you wouldn't confuse those two words in English... ...you wouldn't confuse the two words in, in Greek... ...and in the ancient world, one-third of the Roman Empire were slaves... ...they knew what a slave was... ...and there are other people who were servants... ...they knew what a servant was... ...there's really no reason to confuse the two... ...all slaves were servants... But not all servants are slaves. What's the difference between the two? The, the key difference was freedom. A servant was free to serve whomever he wished to serve. A slave had to serve his master. He wasn't free to change masters if he, just as he liked to do so. And so slaves were the engine room of the Roman Empire. Before you had machinery... You got humans to do the machinery, and it was basically slaves. They were everywhere. Some of them very important people, depending on how important their master was. Some of them very unimportant people, because they had unimportant masters. But one was the treasurer of the whole Roman Empire. I mean, they were, the variety of people were slaves. The key thing about them was they were not free. They had a master they had to serve. And there were reasons why people became slaves, lots of reasons. Debt was one of the big reasons. You couldn't pay for what you had, and so you put yourself in slavery to the person whom you owed the money to. Uh, This developed in our traditions into debtors' prisons, which are still available in in all kinds of countries in the world today, but not in ours because we got rid of debtors' prisons. And thanks to uh, Charles Dickens and the like... And we now have bankruptcy laws, which then means once you become bankrupt, you lose certain civil rights. You can't own companies, you can't be a board director. There's all kinds of things you can't do because you are in slavery under bankruptcy laws. Very humane slavery, but it's still, you're no longer free. Another way in which you become a slave was as a prisoner of war. Uh, a, a, a booty on the campaign when they, a country ro- rose up in revolt against Rome, Rome would conquer the country and take their, their men and their women to come as be their slaves uh, another way was to be a criminal an enemy of the state now please friends, I'm against the slave trade of the Africans of the 18th century but please, please, please do understand that slavery is alive and well and practiced in Australia to this day What the Bible means by slavery is still here today. Uh, We don't call the word slavery, but convicts are slaves, and our country was built on slavery. Uh, The white part of it was. Uh, They didn't call them slaves, they called them convicts, but they weren't free. (laughs) They had to come and work for the master, and it was slavery. At our prisons, the people in prison are slaves in the Bible terms. That's what they mean by slavery. They're not free. Anybody who is restricted like that is not free. Some of you can be slaves by debt. If you take upon a debt like a student loan. Ooh. There's a lot of those around, aren't they? But some of your student loans gives you bonded service. You get paid on the way through university, but you've got to go and work in the country or something like that for the next five years. You are a slave in biblical language. The ESV often tries to translate it as bond servant, to kind of help people broaden their concept of what slavery is meant and understand what the Bible's talking. Now, not only is the word slave in our text, but also the word master, Jesus Christ as Lord. For the word Lord is the word master. And if anybody was a Lord, he would have a slaves. I mean, what kind of Lord, what kind of master has nobody as their master? They, they master. So if you're a master, if you're a Lord, it's because you've got slaves. So, with this context rumbling around in our heads, let's turn to our text, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your slaves, for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. As it goes through, try and do it without looking at the screen. The earlier you get it in your head, the better. Paul says plainly what our proclamation is and what it's not. But who are the our, the we and ourselves in the verse? In the first instance it's Paul and Timothy with whom in proclaiming the gospel because it was the same gospel that he proclaimed with all in Corinth and elsewhere. And there's no reason to exclude any Christian for he's not spelling out his distinctive particular proclamation but rather the message of all and any Christian would proclaim given the opportunity. Okay, so let's start with the message. It's not. It's not ourselves. Friends, this is so important. So important to be different to the world. The world of advertising, the world of politics, the world of entertainment, of sport, of celebrity, of fame, of real estate selling. Of Christian message and ministry is not about you. It's not about us. It's not about ourselves. Indeed, Christianity is not about us. It's not about ourselves. Jesus said if anyone would come after him, anyone wanted to be his disciples, he had to deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. And he went on to explain this in the next verse. Anyone who wanted to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels would save it. Nowhere does the New Testament call us for a partial commitment. It only ever calls us for a total commitment or no commitment at all. Lose your life for Jesus and the gospel's sake or you will lose your life in the judgment day when the Son of Man comes in the clouds with his many angels. Friends, we're talking this weekend about full-time Christian ministry. Let's be perfectly clear from the beginning. This is not an invitation to a safe, secure, well-paid, superannuated life of ease and pleasure. This is an invitation to give your life over to Jesus in such a fashion that you can be assured of persecution with any and every chance of being misunderstood, scorned and ridiculed and certainly become unpopular in many quarters. This is an invitation to give away yourself, your comforts, career, contentment, your ambitions and aspirations and acquisitions, Yourself, your self-satisfaction, your self-fulfillment, your, your self-centeredness, to give it all away. This is an invitation to drop dead. You must lose your life for my sake and the gospel this is an invitation the invitation of the gospel itself to take up the cross that disgusting symbol of humiliation and shame of cruel conquest of political persecution of sacrificial love to take up your cross in following jesus Whatever else the proclamation is about, it's not about us. And if that is what it's not about, notice what it is about. For our text continues, but, here we go, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your slaves, for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. This is the alternative We're not proclaiming ourselves, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus, the man of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, who walked to the land of Galilee and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God, the evangelist, as he was known, In his own day, who healed the sick and drove out demons and called the crowds to follow him, denounced the false teachers of his age and stood quietly in witness to the truth. Jesus, who was hated and despised and spat upon and mocked, brutally beaten and crucified, bearing our sins and bearing even the wrath of God and rising on the third day. That Jesus, the one who is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the king promised to David a thousand years before, the son of David who comes to rule the world and establish God's kingdom over all nations for all time, Jesus Christ as Lord, the sovereign master of life and death, the judge of the living and the dead, the ruler of all, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the owner, the monarch, the emperor, the prince, the lord of all His believing slaves." for slavery is how Paul describes the Christian life. Romans 1.1, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Talks of Epaphras in Colossians 4.2, Epaphras, a slave of Christ Jesus, as does James. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Peter, Simeon Peter a slave, an apostle of, the, of Jesus Christ. And Jude, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And John in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his slaves the things that must take place. It is normal Christian language to understand that we who are in Christ Jesus are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must not diminish that by turning it into the word servant. For a servant can choose some other master. A slave has no choice but to serve the one master for all life. We are not our own. For as Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, you have been bought with a price. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. He cannot be our Saviour without being our Lord. And he cannot be our Lord without being our Saviour. If he was simply our saviour, we could continue in our sin. If he was simply our Lord, we would continue in condemnation. But the way he saves is by conquering Satan as Lord. And the way he is Lord is by dying and rising as our saviour. By Pentecost, God made Jesus both Christ and Lord, this Jesus whom you crucified. And in becoming Christians, we receive Jesus Christ, the Lord, we're told in Colossians 2.6. So our message to the world, the message of all Christian proclamation is Jesus Christ, Lord. So we don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. But what about ourselves? Who are we? If Jesus Christ is Lord, who are we to proclaim this gospel message, to have this power of God in our very mouths? Come back to our verse. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your slaves, for Jesus' sake. I had wanted to block out ourselves in Jesus Christ as Lord. We've highlighted it to make it easier for you. Jordan, you might like to fix the next couple of ones for us there. (laughs) Don't make it easier for them. They were actually losing the impetus. They were saying it slower and quieter. (laughs) Well, who are we? Paul told the Corinthians, we are your slaves. First glance, this is a bit confusing. Jesus is Lord, surely we're his slaves. But now here, Paul and Timothy, are the Corinthians' slaves. I'll explain it in a moment, but notice first that they are the slaves of the Corinthians, the ones they preach the gospel to. And you need to know this is Paul's normal operative principle. So back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19, for though Jordan's busy now, for though I am free from all, it just should come up on our text. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a slave to all, that I may win more of them. It's his introduction to that famous little passage about becoming all things to all men, so that by all means he may save some. Today's people love this little passage because it speaks of a freedom and a flexibility to to be a Christian minister any way you want to. But they fail to notice that slavery and service is what is involved. The conclusion of Paul's argument is that we are to follow his example as he follows the example of Christ. For Christ too enslaved himself to the other person as Paul enslaves himself to the other person for their salvation. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. It's just to your right, a few pages, or if you've got a phone, you'll find it your own way. To uh, Philippians chapter 2. For when we come to follow Jesus Christ our Lord, we follow the man who enslaved himself to others for their salvation. And we're told we're supposed to follow him. Look at verse 4, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, is the Greek word, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus became our slave in order to save. Notice from this passage, three little things. It's the opposite of looking out For ourselves is this slavery. Jesus does not look out for himself. He looks out for us and our salvation in his obedience to his Father. Secondly, notice, we have to have Jesus' mind following his example. That's what the passage is telling us. I want you to think like Jesus thinks. This is what Jesus thinks. So, this is what you should be. Jesus thought of not equality with God, a matter of grasping, but To be really like God, a matter of being enslaved in the service of others for their salvation. And thirdly, though he was in the form of God, he enslaved himself for us. Such strong language. Look outward, my friends. Not into your own hearts. Get your heads out of your own navels. Look outwards. We're coming to talk about what we're going to do with our lives, with the next years, with the coming years, with the the rest of. We're looking about this future that we may or may not have under the hand hand of God. But we're trying to make our plans for life and the rest. Stop looking at yourself. Look outwards. Look outwards at the lostness of others, of your neighbours, of your family, the lostness of your nation, The lostness of the world of nations. People who have never heard of Christ. People who only hear of Christ as a swear word. People whose society has turned their back on Christ. Look out at others and see how lost they are. For that is to think as Christ thinks. Not of himself but of others and their salvation. We're not to serve ourselves but them. We're to be like Christ and lay down our lives for them, for their salvation. We're to be like Christ and see greatness in self-sacrifice. We're to be like Christ and his Apostle Paul who sees freedom in slavery, freedom from self, freedom from self-centeredness, freedom from selfishness. We're to give up our small self-serving ambitions of career or wealth, of pleasure, of harmony, of personal fulfilment. For our joy and our crown on the last day, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, will not be our achievements, but our fellow believers. The people we've served with the gospel, they will be our crown. They will be our joy. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, it's 1 Thessalonians two nineteen. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. On that last day, I'm going to meet some children that I taught in Sunday school or at beach mission that I've completely forgotten about. Yeah, they might have been complete rats in my class. I might have spent all the time disciplining them for all I know. I can't remember it at all. But on that last day, there they will stand. Saved by the Lord Jesus Christ because they heard of him from this mouth all those years ago. And that will be my joy. That will be my glory. That will be my crown of boasting on that day. The ministry of the gospel is the epitome of Christian living. And as such, it is living and dying for others. It's all about enslaving yourself for others but I'm a slave of Jesus. What is it about Jesus? Isn't he my Lord? Isn't he, aren't I his slave? Let's go back to our text. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but with for Jesus' sake. Well done. Thank you, Jordan. Paul was the Corinthians' slaves. For Jesus' sake, this is what Jesus wanted. This is what Jesus, his Lord, commanded. This is how he was to serve his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. This is what is required of any and all who follow him. You see, we lose our lives for his sake and the rest of it, and the Gospels. I just do not lose my life in order to save my life. I lose my life for Jesus and for the spread of the Gospel throughout this world. And people see that Christians don't have to be involved. That's prima facie evidence that you are one of the lost. For if you have any understanding any compassion, any sense of thinking as Jesus thinks, if you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have the lost on your heart and you will do all and any that is required of you by your Lord Master to save them. This is the mind of Christ. And this is how we claim, who claim to be Christians, must have in our service in our slavery to our Lord, that we will do and live in the way he wants us to do and live. And the way he wants his slaves to live is the same way that he himself lived. And how was that? He enslaved himself to others that they may be saved. So Paul sets the example of making every decision. To the Greek, I became as a Greek. To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. It's not a mandate for flexibility, choose your own story. It's the exact reverse. It's the exact reverse. It's saying, I will do whatever you want me to do to serve you so that, because the end of the passage is, so that they may be saved. I do not seek to please myself, I seek to please others. Why? That they may be saved. That is what drives Paul. And when he says the very next verse is, be imitators of me. He wants others to do as he did, to enslave himself to others for their salvation as he enslaved himself to the Corinthians and others for their salvation. But that doesn't make you a Pauline person. That makes you a Christian person. Because he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. If you don't know the verse I'm speaking of, it's in my head because it's a memory verse, you see. Very important. You can think if you've got things in your head. And what better to have God's word in your head? Understand the mind of Christ and adopt the mind of Christ. Stop thinking about yourself. You want to know what you should do in the future? Stop thinking about yourself. Because it's not about you, dummy. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and the people who will be saved by you telling him ab- telling them about him that's who it's about and so our verse and it's not on the screen <laughs> do you think you can manage it without it being on the screen is this going to be a possibility for us yes okay here we go four what Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that he did not think of himself but obeyed you as you sent him to serve others. And we thank you, Father, that he had your mind, that he knows that greatness is found in service, that freedom is found in slavery, that he was obedient to you even unto the cross that dreadful way of dying, of shame and ignominy and bearing your wrath. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be enslaved for us, that we would be saved. And we thank you for those who laboured over us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who told us about him and told us about the wonderful thing he's done for us and who he is and how he reigns supreme in the universe. We thank you for those who preached the gospel, who taught us the truth of your word. Let's just spend a moment think of a couple of the people who really laboured over you and thank God for them. We thank you, Father, that they put their lives out, that they spent their time, that they prepared their lessons, that they gave us time, that they cared for us and loved us. We thank you for their service of you by serving us. And we do pray, Father, that you would take from us our self-centeredness, take from us ourselves, that we might truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ as he called upon people to be his disciples by denying ourselves and taking up this cross to follow him, that we may lose our lives for his sake and the gospels. So help us, Father, this week as we talk with each other over this weekend, as we plan, as we dream, as we hope, as we think. Help us, Father. To do so knowing that the proclamation is not about ourselves but about the Lord Jesus Christ and that we may see ourselves rightly father only as your slaves as Jesus slaves of people who are willing to enslave themselves for others that they too might know the great joy of salvation that is in our Lord and Savior and we pray it in his name. Amen.